This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. America! Demand your MTV! I want my MTV! I want my MTV. I want my MTV. Call your cable company and say, I want my MTV. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And guess what? It's Friday. So here you go. The Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan here. I'm in uh, New York City. You know, everything happens fast here. New York Minute and all that. Uh, so last night I was playing my Wonderwall on my acoustic guitar uh, all all night long. My my wife asked me if I could just stop playing Wonderwall on the acoustic guitar. I said maybe. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs> That's uh, for you 90s Oasis fans there. Uh, if you get that one, it's because you know Wonderwall uh, from the Oasis album, definitely maybe. Maybe it's going to drive you crazy. I don't know. A re- definitely a Duff McKagan original. Uh, no maybe about that. I think he probably made that up on the spot. But uh, they can't all be winners. But thanks to Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Duff McKagan for sending in his joke of the week every single Friday, no matter where he is in the world. And I'm sure he'll keep sending them in even when Guns N' Roses hits the road again in November. They're going to the Philippines, Jakarta, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Abu Dhabi. They are going everywhere. Man, Guns N' Roses making a worldwide presence known. They're also coming up on this show, at least in conversation, in topic, with today's guest, original MTV VJ Mark Goodman, one of the original five VJs who introduced MTV to the world uh, in 1981 in August, uh, pretty much 37 years ago. It's hard to believe. Uh, but Mark remembers some of the videos GNR did for MTV back when MTV still played music videos. Mark is also talking all about the launch of MTV. It debuted August 1st, 1981. Well, like I said, 37 years ago, you'll discover where and how they got the videos that started the channel. There wasn't a lot of rock videos back then. How Mark got the job and what it was like in those early days of MTV. He remembers his auditions, his first day on the air, and the reason why he and Alan Hunter still fight about being the first MTV VJ to this day. Who was the actual first? We'll find out. Mark's also talked about some of his favorite interviews from his days there, like the time he sat down with Paul McCartney, his first conversation with Madonna, hanging out in parties with David Lee Roth and Van Halen. He's also talking about the interviews he did not get to do, like the time Martha Quinn got to talk to Bob Dylan instead of him. He's still mad about that. So original MTV VJ turned serious XM radio host Mark Goodman coming up 
Also coming up, the next leg of Fozzie's Judas Rising Tour in the United States. We're starting up again tomorrow with Adelita's Way, Stone Broken and the Stir. Uh, that's tomorrow in Birmingham. Tonight, sold out in Atlanta, Friday night, August 24th. We are sold out tonight. Uh, Birmingham, tomorrow, Saturday. Uh, Sunday, Huntsville, Alabama, Sidetracks Music Hall. And then we go to Clarksville, Tennessee at O'Connor's on the 29th. Springfield, Illinois at the Bank of Springfield Center uh, on uh, August 30th, my wife's birthday. And August 31st in Little Rock, Arkansas at the Revolution Music Room. Uh, don't forget about September 1st in uh, Aftershock in Merriam, Kansas. That's Kansas City. And then, of course, Taste of Madison on October 2nd. A lot more dates after that. We're going all the way to uh, September 29th in Fort Lauderdale. Go to FozzyRock.com for all information, all tickets for that, and all tickets for the Australian uh, New Zealand tour, November 7th in Auckland, November 9th in Melbourne, November 10th in Sydney, 13th is Adelaide, 14th is Brisbane, and then we're hooking up with Three Days Grace for a few dates on their Canadian tour, Moncton on the 21st, Halifax, Quebec City, Montreal on the 25th of November. Go to FozzyRock.com for all ticket informa uh, information, and also how to buy tickets for one of Fozzy's legendary VIP meet and greets, one of the best in the business. We play a mini a concert for you, then we take pictures, we sign stuff, we hang out with you, answer your questions. Do it now. It's something you're not going to get with any other band. Go to FozzyRock.com for all VIP information, all ticket information, and stay right here, Talk is Jericho, to hear Mark Goodman with all the details and stories about the birth of MTV starting right now, right here on Talk is Jericho. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. See, that's a true radio pro making sure your phone is off. You can tell that you've been in the biz for a while, kid. And talking about being in the biz, we're here uh, at uh, Mark Goodman's house. And we met when I did some press for the Fozzie record. Right. Um, when you were at your show on Serious Debatable. Yeah. And the first thing I said to you was, uh, I saw you on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Dude, you blew my mind that you remembered that. Well, you know. That was like the worst season of Saturday Night Live. It was one of the worst casts. Rich Hall was the guy who did me. Yeah. Oh my god! I just was blown. Well, away. it was so funny because you know when you do a press tour, you go around to place, 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 and I didn't even really focus in this. Like, yeah, we're going to debate all this. I was like, that's Mark Goodman, dude. That's one of the original MTV VJs and the guy who was on Saturday Night Live, and that's what <laughs> that's what made you like to me. It was like if you can make it on Saturday Night Live, that's a big deal. <laughs> I felt the same way. <laughs> I was was blown away. That did he you did know it. that that you're going to be on that? No, week? but I knew Rich before before that. Mm -hmm. When Rich was just doing stand up and he was you know like doing teeny clubs, I was a DJ in Philly, and we did shows with him all the time. So I knew him. I spent a lot of time with him. You know, just hanging right. out and having cocktails. You know, <laughs> so for to see him one one he got the gig, and then him doing me on there was because he had the big like curly. He had the big. Wig. But you know what? I was a lot better dresser than he was. <laughs> You know, you he wore this like, shitty like army jacket or something, you know, and I was just like, I don't dress like that. Man. I, I dress like nice. I have vests and shit. That know? made you part of the cultural zeitgeist, though. And oh, yeah. just by proxy of being, once again, one of the original five VJs yeah. on MTV, which yeah. people still talk about to this day. Yeah. You know, there was you. I, I, I was, there was Let's Alan see if Hunter. we can do it. Let's okay, see. Okay. Come on. Okay. You know, Five I, of us. No, remember, I'm from Canada, so I never had MTV. I know. Much, we had music, much music. Yeah. So I can tell you, Erica M. And uh, actually, you know, it's funny. There's a guy who's called J.D. Roberts, 
and he was one of the original and much music VGs. He's yeah. now a reporter on CNN, John Roberts. John Roberts was yeah. on Much Music? Yes, J.D. Roberts. Oh, wow, I had no he's, idea. He used to do the metal show, The Power Hour. So, okay, so it's uh, Mark Goodman, uh, Alan Hunter, uh, Martha Quinn. Everybody knows I remember Martha. Martha. Who's the blonde girl? There's a blonde girl, too. Nina. Nina. Blackwood. Nina Blackwood. Yeah. And J.J. Jackson. J.J. Jackson. There you go. Yeah. Wow. The, so The late great. Oh, did he, when, when he passed away? He died uh, almost, I want to say almost. 12 years ago now okay yeah so we're talking though about this and, and kind of you mentioned you were a dj in philly yeah um videos at the time were basically promotional clips because you see them from time to time there's a few beatles there's some kiss you know i was made for loving you type things yeah. but w where were those videos shown at that time well, we, the odd thing, you know, before MTV, before I had even heard about MTV, when I was still working in radio in Philly, I was uh, at this at the number one rock station in, in the city, and I was about to, to host a video music show on UHF. <laughs> we all remember UHF. UHF, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was going to do, on Friday nights, uh, an hour-long video music show that would be simulcast by my station. Mm -hmm. Then they made me music director and I was already doing, you know, an, an air shift six days a week plus music director and I just didn't even, I stopped doing that. That was 79. 1980, I moved to New York and within, I was working at, the, at PLJ at the number one station in New York and hating it mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, just because we weren't playing anything cool that I really wanted to play. And um, I got the call about MTV, like a friend of mine from Philly called and said, we know this guy, he's a producer, and they're doing this thing with this 24-hour video music channel. And I had seen them uh, as a music director in Philly when uh, record companies would bring in, if like Duran Duran in particular is one I remember, that they brought Planet Earth, mm -hmm. you know, videos from Planet Earth, Girls on Film yeah, in particular. Right, right. Yeah. And that's what they used them for in, in Britain. Was they used them for top of the pops a lot of times bands that couldn't make a performance they would have a video and that's what they would show and that's why in the beginning of MTV you know we had like three videos <laughs> we just rotated over and over and so because and most of them were British mm, interesting because Brits were doing it because I remember like you said you wouldn't see them I remember Solid Gold that show in the yeah. states would show a clip from time to time. Yeah. You know, and you would see it here and there, but like you mentioned, it was never anything really concrete as far as this network and even cable television as a whole was there wasn't a lot of cable stations. No, right. Well, at that that time? was I think you know our our luck at MTV was amazing because we came at a time when it was right for cable to start to blow up, and MTV wound up selling cable. That's mm. half the reason that it became so popular with the cable operators because suddenly everybody it was a phenomenon everybody wanted to see it so that was the way to get them to sign up so when you was it based out of new york then the original yeah. mtv yeah. okay so when you get the call do you have to go do an audition i mean what's the kind of the process for that you know i was just walking up the street with with my daughter the other day she's visiting and we pass what is what was at the time the sheridan hotel at, yeah at like 55th and 7th yeah it's not not your primo new york hotel it wasn't a total flea bag but that was where i had to go to meet this producer and it was like i was like this is like a harvey weinstein situation <laughs> going on right it was like kind of creepy you know like you know, come to 435 and you knock on the door right. and like there's some guy sitting on the bed you know and like <laughs> this is my my meeting but yeah that was the, the first my first entree and then i did two auditions the first one um 
there was, I understand, about a thousand fifteen hundred people, something like that, that they auditioned in um, New York, L.A., Chicago. I think they were in New Orleans also. Hmm. And so they had a bunch of people that they were seeing in, in each of those cities. So the first one was just me on a stool in a, stu- uh, a studio that was like 12 degrees, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it was like an interrogation, just like a spotlight on my face and a camera. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I had to do some music news and, and just talk about music. Who was the guy that kind of created, who was this producer that you talked about that created MTV? Well, uh, it was a guy that I knew from, he didn't create it, but this was the my first entree. It was a guy named Richard Bensavango, okay, who gotcha. I think is, I don't know, I think he's still doing television but he was with us just in, for the first few months of MTV but he was with with the company at the at the beginning before we launched mm-hmm. and he was a producer on TV in Philadelphia so a friend of mine was fr- also friends with him and we had done stuff in Philly uh, he and I and and so that was sort of just a roundabout way that I heard about this, you know, 24-hour yeah. video music. And of course, thing. you're probably thinking like, God, how long is this going to last? Who's going to watch videos? Well, that that's definitely the assessment. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Get your little buddy, your little dogs on my lap now. That's Oliver the Pug, who Hi, is... Oliver. Oh, my God. Look at him. He climbed up on your lap. <laughs> <laughs> He's my co-host for the show. I love that. <laughs> um, but, you know, the idea of... 24-hour video. It, it, right. It, it's To me, it was like, Okay, you know, I had seen videos, so I thought, yeah, all right. I, I mean, I think it'll be around. Mm-hmm. Seems like a good idea. And I, I was working at the number one rock station in the number one market in the country. If you're in radio, that's where you're headed. Yeah. You know? So for me to say, I'm going to quit, you know, it was ABC and ABC affiliate. I mean, it was a big station and a big career thing for me. I left Philly to come here to do it. But I was hating it. So, yeah, I mean, they... I, I did that first audition. I got called back like three or four weeks later. Was you know nail biting for four weeks, and the second one was a little bit more intense. Um, they had this guy Robert Morton who went on to be David Letterman's producer, and he oh. was friends with Letterman and Morty. You know he would mention Morty in the early days of the show, and as it turned out, half of our production staff, makeup, and um, some of our floor managers and a couple of directors were all. Letterman people had worked with him on his morning show. We launched August 1st and like August 1st, 1981, 81. And he launched like, I don't know, a couple of months later because they all left. <laughs> Everybody left to go back to Letterman. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, you know, I just, I lucked out. I got this call and I did the second audition, which was tougher with Morton, who part of the audition was him pretending to be Billy Joel, but a really asshole version of billy joel (laughs) so like i'm trying to interview him and he's giving me a hard time and one word answers and he's like staring around the room and you know to to push me and so i did the interview and the second part of the interview was i had to stand by an easel that had like cut out pictures of the band the eagles say something about the eagles and then walk over to a couch and sit down and throw to the video <laughs> i can do that so i did that and apparently i did it better than than a lot of other than people, the other 1500 people. Yeah. but you mentioned something really interesting is like and it's it's like kind of the chicken and the egg thing did mtv spur the rise of the video revolution or did the video revolution spur the rise of mtv because you mentioned when you started there was yeah. not a lot of videos in the system 
there, there definitely, we had very, very few. We, we literally had like a few hundred videos that we were rotating in the beginning. And like, which ones do you the, remember playing a lot of? At well, the, the, time? the weird ones were like Andrew Gold. We played a lot. Of, we played a lot of Rod Lonely Stewart. Boy? <laughs> we played Lonely Boy. We played another one that, and I was an Andrew Gold fan. <laughs> um, Lonely Boy is the one everybody knows, right? You <laughs> um, said a lot then, of Rod Stewart. A lot of Rod Stewart. We had and and like weird like. Um, we had a band called The Producers early on uh, with was, Amy Mann. Wasn't till there Tuesday. early uh, uh, Pat Benatar one? I remember reading her book and she said because she was one of the few videos yeah. that became really big. Well, she she was, this is, you know, the, the great trivia question. Everybody knows what the first video was on MTV. It's just a right? video killed the radio star. There you right? go. Okay. Was it The Buggles? There was The Buggles. Right. Uh, Jeff Downs and Trevor Horn, who would later go on to be, yes. I didn't know basically. that. And Jeff Downs also from Asia. And Asia too, right. right. There you go. Okay. Um, but... The second video, Pat Benatar. Really? You better run. <laughs> no kidding. And so, she, and so Neil, her husband and guitar player and producer, is very big on saying that he played the first guitar ever on MTV. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> there you go. Buggles, right? no guitars in the Buggles. And yeah. You better run was the second video. Huh. So, so when you only have a few choices and stuff, at first, what's the reception of, of the whole network? Is is the country excited? Is it is it a hard sell? Advertising-wise, it took them a while to figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, um, advertising-wise, we and we on the air and you know, sort of the lower downs in the company, we didn't really know, but we were we were dying for advertising in the beginning, and that was you know, the the first big sell was to sell the concept to the original company, which was Warner and American Express. Warner Amex was the company that owned MTV and mm -hmm. founded MTV to begin with. And Bob Pittman, who was the head of the company, had you know, the incredible schmooze and the ability to, to sell this to guys at American Express and guys at Warner in suits, who there was never anything like it. So to explain, it was... It was tough, but he did it. Mm -hmm. So we get on the air, but then it's advertising. Right. You know, and, and it took, you know, better than a year before we were at least sort of breathing easy. Mm -hmm. But there was, we used to get letters, or like in the, in the first six months, we would get letters from people in, you know, like Arkansas. And they would talk about how that video that you guys show where, uh, you know, there's the, the guy floating out in space and there's the rocket and... The, this was stock NASA footage that we stuck into 20 past the hour because that was what was called the local avail, where local cable companies could sell advertising to make some money. Nobody had anything, so we were showing that for like three minutes, and people are writing us going, that's such a cool video, I love that, you know? Right. But that was the Just big sell. time, right? You Just, had nothing we, to put in we there. Had, we had to put something in there as right. television. You know, we right. couldn't have, have black, mm -hmm. so we put something like that in there. But very, very few ads we did in, in the first six months to a year. We did um, this. It was a real instrument, but it was like a toy, a, a syndrome. And it was like a little synthesized drum kit, like these rubber pads. And there was like four of them and like, dee, boo, boo, you know, yeah. and we'd have to futz around with them on the air. And I'm like, what's your sponsor? It was I, it was syndromes they yeah, were called, yeah. and that was the sponsor. And it was like we us doing like live reads on the air. We had to mess around with the drums. It was really, 
<laughs> it was they were pieces of shit. It, right, of course, it was like yeah. kind of embarrassing, you know. Yeah. And from you know that was my first run in with Pittman, because I was like, you know, me and JJ were the radio people. We had been working in radio. Martha Quinn was still living in the dorms at NYU. Alan Hunter was a cabaret guy. He was working as a bartender. Nina. Nina was kind of a musician. She but she was playing, you know, a harp in an airport bar in L.A. A rocker, newer stuff, <laughs> yeah. but was not working in the business. JJ and I were wor actually working in radio. And so I, you know, this syndrome thing comes in. I'm like, I called Bob and said, Bob, you know, we usually, we get paid for, for doing this. You know, it's an endorsement, you know, I'm putting my face with the product. And he's like, well, Mark, if you don't want to do it, I'm sure we can find somebody else who will. <laughs> All right, Bob, I'm going to jump right on that for you. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, that's how it went. With hint, Bob. hint. Yeah, for sure. Right. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad, he's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Turn it on. Leave it on. America, see the music you want to see. I want my MTV. All right. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. Ow! 24 hours a day on cable TV. I want my MTV, MTV, MTV! Yeah, too much is never enough. So who are some of the bands that really kind of embraced this uh, new way of getting their music out there? And was there any bands that were against it at first? Because mm -hmm. there always is. You know, it's it's uh, it was a really weird new thing for for bands to have to worry about you know, how they looked and how they presented themselves and coming up with, you know, it was, it's difficult enough to come up with a great song with great production and, you know, now add this. Now you have to have a great video too. And it was hard. And there were some bands who, you know, couldn't couldn't really cut it. And interestingly, uh, bands like the Kinks, you know, oh my God, you know, British Invasion Band, they did great. They did really cool videos. Ray Davies was like natural showman. I'm thinking Come Dancing right off the Come bat. Dancing, what a great video. That's amazing, right? So um, there were bands like that early on, but the rock, the harder rocking bands who were big for us had a semi-difficult time figuring it out. There was a lot of performance video, and the bands who really embraced it and, and did well with it early were the Brits. Duran Duran had been making videos uh, already, so they were familiar. Um, they, they started to work during the 80s. They started to work with people like Godley and Cream, who were these huge video producers. They used to be in 10CC in the 70s, and they turned into giant video producers. Um, Spandau Ballet. I mean, the, the British, you know, the fluffy shirt bands, you know, Culture Club. Those guys, it, it was a normal thing to them because they grew up watching it on top of the pops. It really wasn't a part of our culture here so those guys were the ones who really seemed in the beginning to feel the most comfortable with it i think that you obviously know that pops right into mind because you have the original videos like you said that were more story driven and then you get a guy like michael jackson who takes it to or it's not sort of performance driven then you take yeah. michael jackson who actually tells a little bit of a mini movie <laughs> yeah throughout the course of his videos 
he yeah he upped the bar and mm. he was you know he was the guy who had the money to do it that, mm. that was the thing right. you know i mean you know if you want to spend the money and he you know thriller obviously was the big one in 83 that really turned things around in terms of video and for him too i mean not that he wasn't a star beforehand but the the oh it I, made it made the difference yeah, yeah sure. i mean he just that was when he started calling himself the king of pop mm -hmm. you know he really he just went not next level. He went ten next levels. You know, mm -hmm. he really just exploded with that. And because he was one of these guys who had, who could think beyond just the song and the album and the tour, and could really think about creating something for himself. You know, um, an image for himself on video. Mm -hmm. Really was all about it. Yeah. What's what was the uh, kind of the, the process to try and get a video on? Would there be like a record companies would send it to you, and you guys have yeah. to decide yes or no? Yeah, we the five of us on the air had no say. Of course, yeah, you know, no say. JJ and I, and particularly me, uh, just because uh, I had an attitude when I started, because <laughs> I had come from I was programmer, you know, when I was in radio, I was a music director, and you know, I was used to saying this is what we're going to play this week these are the new songs so i was vocal about it but yeah generally there was vice presidents like three of them in particular Pittman was always involved john sykes um and les garland these three uh suits would decide and they were you know they were music guys it wasn't like they had been working in music but those were the guys who made the ultimate Decisions. Decision, right, yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, would you get like um, when you started playing some of these videos as they as, you, as they started to expand and you're getting the Michael Jacksons, you're getting this sort of thing? Um, is there a lot of kind of you mentioned fans writing in? Would that help you decide if you would play it? Obviously, like I said, you're just doing what they want you to do. But as far as going into rotation of playing it once a day, twice a day, was it the fans? Was it the quality of yeah, the video? It was. It was certainly the fans. You know, obviously, no, no social media back then, so right. it was letters. Yeah. It wasn't even emails. It was yeah, letters. letters. Yeah. Um, but they, all of the people that I mentioned, Les Garland came from from records. He was at Atlantic Records. John Sykes was at Epic Records. Bob Pittman was in radio. He was the youngest. He was the youngest of everyone. They were calling him a, a wonderkind. He was programming WNBC here in New York. And he was like 24, I think, mm -hmm. 25, something like that. So by the time he was at MTV, he was still under 30, um, but a radio guy. And they would follow the trades. They'd follow Billboard. They'd follow, you know, the, the real industry trades to see how things were moving. And back, back then, you could gauge things by record sales. Mm -hmm. Sure, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure once the record companies started seeing the difference because i'm sure if you had a hit video your sales would go up and then now everyone's trying to get these videos going yeah, yeah. that was the thing that america really had never experienced mm -hmm. and we so we launched august 1st and by the end of the year we uh, we started to hear from these places in like arkansas and, and Wyoming, these little towns, but towns that had cable. Mm -hmm. And there would be record shops there that, you know, the first Duran Duran record had been off the shelves for two years because it, it came to radio and nobody played it. Nobody in this country played it. But we started playing the video a lot. Mm -hmm. And people started going into the record stores all over the country and asking for this band Duran Duran. And the record shops guys were going, Who's this? You know, and that's the way that we started to realize, oh, I think this is going to work. You became more influential in radio. We did. I mean, we like to think that we did. Mm -hmm. I think as far as real studies are concerned, 
it never it, it all radio was always number one because you know it was in in the car and it was sort of everywhere and um you know even today radio is still the number one place that people discover music even with youtube which is next it's true yeah rock radio yeah our song right now is 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 done really well but it's really made a difference for the band because you still think oh radio's dead it's not dead it's still very important yeah um and you wish that there was an outlet like mtv but that's now been replaced by youtube anyway yeah. but at the time in the 80s and 90s to get on mtv was a huge deal yeah yeah you know and people would see see a bump i mean and you know pat benatar did she talked about it in her book and a lot of a lot of these guys have talked about it in their their books that it was this weird thing for them to a band that was playing bars like Pat Benatar was, she was playing clubs of you know 200 people, 250 people, and all of a sudden MTV hit, and within a couple of months, suddenly they were playing 5,000 mm -hmm. seat halls. They would come into town, and people would be waiting at the airport for them. I mean, it was a whole new world because of it. And it's interesting too because you're talking about kind of that that uh, crossover from the 70s to the 80s. And obviously in the 70s you had David Lee Roth and you had, you know, Kiss, but a lot of the bands you're talking about, you know, maybe like it's Deep Purple or just, or, or somebody like that. Not the most good-looking of guys, but it didn't matter. Yeah. Suddenly now in the 80s, not only do you have to be a good band, like you said, you got to be good-looking. So a band <laughs> like Duran Duran, they're tailor-made for it and that helped them, but other bands probably got hurt cuz they weren't hot. Well, <laughs> you know, the you know the harder rock bands had to figure it out. Yeah, they had to figure it out, and they did. You know, mm -hmm. they they look at Scorpions. Good I mean, not a great looking band, <laughs> yeah. but they had some rocking videos. Yeah. And the video era for us in the states with them, they were huge. They people went crazy for them. That's a great call. I'm thinking Rock Like a Hurricane, where you don't have to be hot, but just put a bunch of hot chicks in it in, in, a, cage. in a cage. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> we loved Rudy and Klaus. Yeah, exactly. so, Rudy and Klaus. Mine. So when when you now now, now that uh, record companies are behind it, I'm sure publicists and bands are getting into it. Did you do a lot of interviews with the bands that would come through oh, town? Yeah. So yeah, tell, yeah. Tell us about some of those uh, that you had. Those, you know, that was what we were about you mm -hmm. know certainly for jj and i we both were really up for for talking to these guys and it was because it was television for everybody it was a new world jj and i hadn't really done tv so um i'm trying to think of some you know some of the earliest bands you know like we didn't get into um you know headbangers ball for years <clears throat> van halen was big for us early on judas priest was huge for us early on really because once again not a great looking not a great guys, looking band yeah. but they you know they were brits so they had the commitment to video halford was always great on video and they were huge for us in the early days and you know kind of generally there was you know the fluffy shirt contingent but then it was metal Mm. You know, it was hard rock and metal. That was the stuff that really worked for us. I'm trying to think of some of the other bands. That, I mean, I, I, you know, I interviewed Dave early on, Van Halen early on. And, and I talked obviously to Dave's Bruce. a great interview for sure, right? Yeah, you just pretty he, much ask one question and sit back. Let him go, right? <laughs> would you have a guy like that? And like, would you be like, like, is this guy's too much? Or was it kind of fun? Or was it a little bit annoying? I, I love Dave. Yeah. I love Dave. I spent a lot of time with him. I actually went on the road with him for a while. No kidding. Yeah. With Van Halen? Or with, with Roth Solo? With Solo. So right was, after he left. What was the concept behind that? He, You know, we we wound up getting friends at the Us Festival, uh, Us 83. Mm -hmm. And um, and that video, the video of that interview is on YouTube, and I encourage you to check it out. <laughs> he, I mean, I've seen Dave 
you know, hammered in a lot of situations, but never like that night. Right. And it's hysterical. Yeah. He's so funny. Um, and so we, we really hit it off. We hung out a lot at, at the US Festival. And then I started to, you know, I was sort of involved with him as he was doing the record, the solo record. And, um, you know, he just he invited me to come out with him. So, you know, things were crazy for me in my home life. It was my first marriage. It was breaking up. I was having trouble. And I was like, I need to get away. And I went out on the road with David Lee Roth. Jesus, it was insane. <laughs> What's it like being out on the road with Roth in 1986? Um, you know, you can imagine whatever you imagine. It is absolutely that. I mean, it was well, the things that you heard about Van Halen, like from the stage, they would have you know, those sort of sawhorses to hold the crowd back, but they were color-coded with like red, blue, green, yellow. And Eddie Anderson, who was Dave's assistant, but was with Dave when he was in Van Halen, you know, Eddie would be by the side of the stage and Dave, during the course of the, of the set, he would run over and he would go, okay, red, right, four rows back, green, left, seven rows back, and Eddie would go out and slap passes backstage passes on these girls to bring them backstage that's and so great. that's what it was like yeah exactly these girls were there by their own they, they wanted, wanted to, be, to there. be there yeah exactly <laughs> you mentioned something quickly about the us festival and that's uh one of my favorite gigs and just the whole concept of that how big it was and it was what was, crazy what was it like you know behind the stage with all the bands that were there and that, that sort of i was there in 83 which was the second year that they they did it. and i couldn't believe wozniak did it another year because he got you know, he got just taken to the cleaners the first year, made horrible losses. Same thing with the second year, but it was an even better lineup the second year. I mean, they sort of divided it up. You know, there was Metal Day, which when, um, uh, so Ozzy was there and Scorpions, um, Scorps Van and Van Halen. And, and Van Halen oh, in right. particular got tons of press because yeah. they got paid, supposedly they got paid a million bucks and they spent it all on their compound. And it was this immense thing backstage with trailers and, you know, all kinds of, you know, bars and it was lights. I mean, it was nuts. It was what you would hope that they would do. Right. <laughs> and um, so I was like, you know, during the interview, one of the things I said to Dave was like, so how do you, you know, what is it? How, how do people get in here? And he was like, oh, no, it's really easy to get in, but it's much more difficult to get out. <laughs> yeah. Classic, right? <laughs> so, um, but he, you know, they knew how to do it and mm -hmm. it was their backyard. So they felt like it was a hometown gig for, for them. But, um, you know, the craziness of us 83 was Bill Graham. Bill Graham was the promoter and Bill Graham is notorious for not taking shit from anybody. And, uh, the kinks were there that, and he, he wanted his shows to run like clockwork. If you were on stage at two, then you were on stage at two. No bullshit. And he literally, the kinks were having some sort of problem. I don't even know exactly what the problem was, but they were, it looked like they were going to be late. And Bill got the manager's car on a forklift and raised it up and was like out over this, this like man-made lake. And he was like, are they going on? Are they going on? It was like, and Bill, that's real. Bill did that shit. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great saying. It was uh, nuts. In rock and roll, like uh, especially with those promoters, it's like I'm not sure what time you're going on, but I know exactly what time you're going on. Off, oh, right. <laughs> bingo, right? For sure. <laughs> and the, and the Clash were there that year also, who and they pulled the ultimate. I mean, they held this press conference and they were you know pulling all this corporate, you know, not non corporate, you know, sort of 
punk attitude. Bill Graham was just not in the mood for that. And they were an hour late and he was going ballistic. I remember seeing him run around backstage and it was they, the Clash were just drawing all this heat and all this press. And U2 was also there. And I was talking to Bono backstage about it. And I remember the line that he, he came up with. He was dissing them heavily. I mean, now he speaks so highly of them. Yeah. But he was like, yeah, Mark, we're here. We're, we know we just want to play for everyone. We're not here to hide behind our haircuts. That was his line. You know? Bono said that about the Clash. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but you mentioned that too because there was a lot of the, the, I always think about the heavy metal day, but the other day was there was like a new wave day, and yeah. then there was like a like a pop day or something. Yeah, like that. I like, guess. I mean, I'm just trying to think of all the the bands that were like Bowie was there, and Bowie was the headliner on his day. I think. I think Van Halen was the headliner on that day, were, if yeah, I remember. They were, absolutely, yeah. Um, they, I remember them going on at night. Yeah. I, I mean, Ozzy was on. I, that was another weird thing that happened at, at the US Festival was that I, for the first time, MTV was going to do live hits from this event. Mm. We had never done that before. And so one of the live hits was supposed to be me on stage on Metal Day, which the he was the heaviest attended, it was 500,000 people there. And it was That's like, insane. in San Bernardino, it was like 105, and it was just, and they were hosing people down in the front. And so I come up on stage to bring Ozzy out, and it's still still light out, it was still hot, it was like four in the afternoon. And you know how, how it is, when you're gonna bring somebody on stage, you gotta rev up the crowd and do your thing, and hey, I'm Mark Goodman from MTV, so great to be here, we're rocking, you guys are all live on MTV right now, hey, all right, let's bring out Ozzy. And I'm looking off, and they're like, there's waving, like, no, 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 not yet. Wait, wait, wait. I'm like, what? Wait, what? We we were too early for the satellite, for the live hit. That was supposed to happen live on MTV, oh, no. and we were too early. They cued me too early. And so 500,000 people, I got to go out and go, all right, great rehearsal. Take two. <laughs> Take two. Exactly. Like, Showbiz, though, right? Yeah. So embarrassing. And, and talking about the technology at that point in time that like you said on the satellite and stuff. I mean, it's pretty yeah. scary to think that it even works at all. It was, you know, the, the satellite hits, wound, that one was a little rough, but we, mm. we did more throughout the weekend, and they they worked a little better. But it was, it was a you know, a, a big thing, and a big thing for us because, I mean, really, you know, we were a brand-new channel. You know, we were only on for a, a couple of years, and that kind of, you know, technology was sort of keep it, trying to keep up with us, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, even in terms of uh, just the way our videos were played, that progressed so much over the first couple of years. When we first launched, the night we launched, we had tech problems because the people at the uplink out on Long Island where everything went up to the satellite and then was broadcast down to all of the cable outlets, they, they didn't have machines to segue between songs it was like a cassette with one song would be in and then like a director would have to switch you know manually do, manually like to bring up the next song you know it wasn't like a wow it wasn't automated it was so it'd be video by video someone would actually be there for an eight-hour shift yeah they called it residue directing so it was like they would have our segments that we would record in the studio and they would have uh, another rack with like all of the imaging and another rack with with the videos and so on our on the night of our launch, the rocket was supposed to go up. John Lack, who was the CEO of the company, said, "Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll." And then it was video killed the radio star. Then it was you better run. Then it was me. It was supposed to be me, and it was me going, "Hi, I'm Mark Goodman, and you're about to experience this new thing. You'll never look at music the same way again." Blah blah blah. What wound up happening was that happened. Those two videos, and then, and I'm Alan Hunter. <laughs> 
because the guy put in the wrong cart. <laughs> he played the wrong thing, completely out of order. I was supposed to introduce, you know, all of the VJs. Right. It was my show. For the, I was on the first VJ on MTV for the first yeah. five hours. It was me. But that those first five minutes were completely up so you had the first shift yeah but they never you know, yeah alan hunter was the first face and that's been a been a fight between us for 35 years because he claims to be the first vj i'm like no dude just because of that up i was the first vj my show was first but he's like it's like in his twitter handle alan hunter first vj you know oh, no. causing heat well i I'm guess like, you know technically he was the first though you saw his face first. oh so you're taking up with him <laughs> in your house on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Did they come? I mean, is a Michael Jackson ever coming to MTV to get interviewed? He was. He didn't come in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was interviewed. I never got the chance to interview him, although I did meet him at an event and talk with him briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, but that level of star, sure. it was rare. I mean, Robert Plant came in a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, I interviewed him once. JJ, who knew them really, really well. JJ Jackson was the guy who played Led Zeppelin on the radio in the United States for the first time. He was the guy in boston who played them so, so they, they got some history really there, yeah. well yeah but most people did did come in mm-hmm. <laughs> you know they actually they, they did come who in. were some of your other favorite interviews that you had with madonna oh wow you know, yeah. madonna I, I was a huge fan of madonna right off the bat yeah. with the first record and uh once again completely embraced the whole video concept she was made for it yeah she, and she that was the thing that she knew it maybe maybe nobody around her knew you know we didn't know but mm-hmm. she knew she just knew it was just so comfortable for her and i talked to her after the first album came out mm-hmm. and um we talked at that time about like a virgin she was really excited about this new album that was coming out and it wasn't out yet and i remember talking to her about her belt buckle which said boy toy <laughs> so i'm like what's what, so what does that mean boy toy and she goes what do you think it means? <laughs> and I, I, you know, I was like much younger and much less experienced. I went, oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> you know, she owned me. She owned me in that interview. Oh man, just a total pro, even at that age. Right? She was so confident. She yeah. was totally confident. Wow, and it's it's funny too when you think about that at the time. Uh, my co-host is having a little conversation. <laughs> um, just the like, I remember the the controversy of like a virgin, like. Such oh, yeah. a controversial title. Like yeah. now, it's like, are you kidding me? But it's goofy. And that and those guys. Uh, I, years later, I became friends with them. Billy Steinberg and Tom Kelly, who wrote it, who wrote a bunch of great songs mm-hmm. in, in the eighties. Uh, Eternal Flame for the Bangles, and I'll Stand by You for the Pretenders, and just awesome songs. But what Madonna liked about it was that that dorkiness about it, you know. And and Billy Steinberg, the guy who came up with the original concept, was like, didn't even think of it as controversial for him it was like he'd come out of a horrible relationship and he was going into 
he had fallen in love again. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a new thing for oh, him. He like was all virgin, like, yeah. I feel like a virgin. I feel brand new, <laughs> you know? And it's very different when a guy sings it. Right. And Madonna loved the idea that a guy had written it, but she was going to sing it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, right? <laughs> when you're talking about um, how kind of the, the, the network starts to progress, and you're mentioning that now you have a little bit more technology. And were you there when the whole like dial MTV thing? Yeah. Because that was huge. Like that's when I, even yeah. as a Canadian dude, you would hear about, oh my gosh, you know, yeah. Bon Jovi was 10 weeks number one at dial yeah. MTV. Like, Motley Crue. Yeah. Motley Crue were unstoppable. <laughs> unstoppable. I, I know that all of their fans had speed dial and they were just calling us like crazy. Dial MTV was a big thing for us. That was really us like starting to just dip our toe into really getting direct contact mm. with the viewers. Like that, the fact it's that you like could do something. It's an early version like of social media, the it, instant. It, it, yeah. it really was, it was exactly that. It was mm. exactly that. And it became a huge show right away. Right away that people could directly influence it. And by, by the time, that, and it was, I don't know, I wanna say maybe three years in that we started doing that. And it really, MTV was already a phenomenon. So to be able to have that kind of influence Mm -hmm. You know, for somebody watching in Nebraska, it was such it a huge, huge thing. Yeah. yeah, especially for you, yeah. like, like the, the metal bands, the rock and roll bands. There's yeah. a lot of them. Well, that was always for the dial, the dial show. That was they were always ruled. Yeah, that was the you ones, know? right? Yeah. When you talk about Motley Crue, um, when guys came to the studio, did you ever have any guys come in that were just totally out of their minds? Yeah, no, I I interviewed them the first time that they were in, and I, you know, I at that time I did not get it. Mm -hmm. You know, they were. I was just like what these guys are idiots <laughs> you know like it it just the, like the whole the glam metal thing i it was like with some people i dug it not that judas priest wasn't glam by any means but there was you know they started to I, maybe it was a video thing they started to be more aware of what they were wearing you know a lot more leather and studs yeah. i guess um and it just it felt um with with motley they were great. They did what they did, but I just thought it's just so, it's not anything really great. Years later, I actually sat down and did a long interview with Nikki Six and realized how smart this guy is and how I didn't realize at the time how much he was the brains behind that yeah. band and the stuff that he, the songs that he brought, how great they were. Mm -hmm. It took me years really to figure it out. And now, yeah. Props to those guys. But like you time. said, you, some of those guys are, just, uh, are deceptively smart or deceptively stupid, whichever one it is. Like <laughs> Nikki doesn't want you to know how smart he is. His, the, I think the whole Motley Crew yeah. machine was guided by him. Yeah, I, and the, I didn't know. They yeah. didn't really make that clear mm -hmm. at the time. You know, I mean, it was everybody focused on Vince. And, yeah, yeah. You know, he was the lead lead singer, and although they all they all were hot, and they all you know had had this sort of you know, L.A. rock thing attached to them. Vince, you know, wasn't wasn't known that Vince mm -hmm. was really the guy. But um, you would always assume that, like, even like he just passed away, Malcolm Young. Yeah. Over the years, find out that Malcolm was the real brains behind ACDC. Yeah, but you yeah. thought it's Angus Young. It's no, no, no. It's, it's Malcolm. It's all right. Malcolm. And that you know, you, you mentioned that, and that was man, that was so sad. Yeah. Malcolm, and what was I think really cool was that. So many great people came out mm -hmm. and said That's he the was the guy. Yeah, I mean Angus has been Angus always idolized Malcolm, right? Mm -hmm. But like to to hear all you know Scotty in and all these really cool people just come out and say, man, nobody like Malcolm, mm -hmm. nobody. 
what bands did you see over the years that you knew would kind of be shifting the cultural like for for example like obviously you have the beatles and the stones and then you kind of yeah. get into you know the, the van halens of the world and then you mm-hmm. kind of go to the guns and roses and those like was or metallica's was yeah. there bands did you know right away when you saw some of these bands like oh that's going to be a game changer yeah i had some that i picked mm-hmm. and others that just like which uh, ones did you pick that you knew trying to think of the one like the ones who were newer duran duran mm-hmm. i was a music director when the album came out in 79 80 didn't play it mm-hmm. but then i saw the videos like everybody else and i went man these yeah mm-hmm. look at look at look at this guy this lead singer man he's really cute the girls mm-hmm. are gonna love him they're doing these sexy videos so duran duran right away madonna i you know obviously same thing with mtv i, I didn't couldn't have guessed that it was going to be a cultural phenomenon i didn't know madonna was going to be what she became but i knew that she was going to be something she was so dynamic and the songs were so cool and she was just exuding all this heat you know mm-hmm. um trying to think of who else. i mean there was a band i talk about them on the air these days uh, a band called the monroes who i love nobody you know they're they're I don't a, even know them, yeah. no no they have one song they had one song they signed they were a really cool band i think uh i want to say they were out of san diego and they had a song called what do all the people know and we played it on mtv but they had they signed with a japanese label that folded a month after their album came out so and they tried to sign with an american label they disappeared so um but we still play them on on big 80s on Sirius, <laughs> and i get to talk about them but that's what and it takes though like you know especially at that time frame where a dj could make a difference well the interesting thing i mean with mtv we didn't like i said we didn't really have say in the program and we didn't decide what got added or how often it got played but this thing happened where we became stars you know we became the the five of us but at weird stars because we weren't the stars we weren't the rock stars but we weren't the people either we were sort of right in between so we were like the conduit to people to like through us Mm -hmm. they could get to them Mm -hmm. and um so that if we you know would talk about stuff on the air which we certainly we could talk about whatever we wanted so that if we supported an artist people Mm -hmm. turned on to it and people listened to us so we had some we had some influence i like to think how was it for how how long was it until they brought in another uh, vj was it the five of you for a long time um uh, yeah mm-hmm. yeah and when um julie brown was actually the, was the first downtown julie brown. downtown julie brown who we love yeah we, we just we just did 80s in the sand with her in punta cana dominican republic just a couple of weeks ago <laughs> been there yeah and uh you've been there yeah so i mean it was it was great fun and uh julie came in and she was just doing vj shifts in the beginning uh, she didn't start to do Club MTV until I had left. I was gone a couple of years by then when mm-hmm. she started to do that. But you know, it's I don't I can't think of anything comparable in in another business where you know it was the five of us, and is it was a, an unusual situation because it was like you know I characterize it as like the five of us went through like Vietnam together. Mm-hmm. You know, we were just. We went through something that nobody else could understand. We suddenly were the, the, at the center of the universe, this thing, MTV made of stars, and everybody knew us. And so it was just a weird phenomenon. So we bonded in that way. And we're all, we're all to this day, we still all talk mm-hmm. we, every week. And, you know, this girl, this British chick shows up out of nowhere. You know, she doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't know anything about us or this channel or anything. She just got the gig. So it was difficult for her. In the to beginning. break into your yeah. club. Especially yeah. because 
you know, she had two girls who were used to being, you know, the girls. They were the girls. Yeah. <laughs> and now here's Julie Brown. She's cute. She's got an accent. She's all bubbly and, you know, a little cat, a little a, catty, a little, a little bit. You know, and they'll admit it. They'll it's admit funny it. though because it's almost like you guys were in a band at this point. You five guys brought together, and now you probably have ups and downs. And this guy's being an asshole today. And well. It's in the book. <laughs> you got to read the book, VJ. We were all really honest in the book, but we, you know, we talk about the fact. In fact, the the book starts with Martha, uh, and something that we. One of the cool things about the book was that we all found out stuff about the others that were like, <laughs> that you didn't "What? Know. <laughs> I, when did that happen? We had no idea." Mm -hmm. And so Martha, I remembered vaguely. Martha got a gig with to to do Dylan. Bob Dylan, Martha Quinn, 21, knew jack about music, and I and she got that interview. I was pissed, mm. and we kind of had a little thing about it. You know, we had a little fight about it. Mm. Um, I was like, why is this girl who doesn't really know who Dylan is and couldn't name three Dylan songs if, if you paid her, right, right. why does she get that interview? Why not me or JJ? So that kind of stuff happened, and it really over the, over the course of things, you know, the politics of the five of us. Everybody had their moment in the sun when they were like their stock was higher than the others. That the company guys liked that one more. Um, we would all want you know certain interviews. You know, everybody wanted to interview Robert Plant. You know, right, when he came of in, course, yeah. but only one one of us gets to do it. You know, <laughs> and that kind of stuff happened. I can see that for it sure. Ha it happened. You know, yeah. what are you gonna do? You know, I, I've often said, I've seen this a couple times, like if you go to uh, like a, a One Direction, for example, and they sell yeah. a shirt, an individual shirt of each guy at the merch stand. I'm like, that's the worst thing you could do because one guy's <laughs> going to be gonna the top more... and one guy's going to be at the bottom right. and everyone's going to know it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's kind of the same well, thing. Like, Niall's like, nobody's <laughs> buying my shirts. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about for, for this type of thing. Like I can see that. Like, like why the hell did, is Dylan for her? And then it makes you mad, and then you get pissed off, and then yeah. she gets mad. Well, I don't think I can do it. That would cause some issues. The, I learned in the book, not only did she get to do this interview, and I found out years later why, um, but not only did she get to do this interview, but something happened where well, she like it starts off with her like doing his makeup. He was wearing eye makeup at, at the, the time, time and stuff. Yeah, that's right. And she, he asked her to, can you help me out with this and touch up my makeup? And it's a girl, you know? I mean, it's like girls have a leg up in that situation. <laughs> right, but, sure. And, and then something happened where um, they were in London. She went to London to do it. And something, oh, he invited her to come with them to Ireland. To, the, to a gig that they had in Ireland and they got, she went, she literally, it was like she did the interview, he invited her, she had to run back to her, tel, her hotel in London, get her shit and get on the plane with them. And then they were on the bus in Ireland and they had a bus accident. Mm. And so he sends Martha back with his son, Jesse, mm -hmm. to the hotel to make sure that he's okay. And, and that was why she got the interview because Jesse had a crush on Martha. So <laughs> Dylan go. pimping for his kid. <laughs> There's certain things you just can't do, man. Hey. Was there any other interviews that you didn't get that you wish you would have? Um, there was one that I got. Like I got back at Martha. I got McCartney. Ooh, that's a good one. I got McCartney, and she was 
disappointed. Let's put it that way. She's a huge Beatles fan, sure. and she was really disappointed. And it was in a, a, a similar situation. I got to go to London to interview him, and went to you know Air Studios where he was rec recording. Give my regards to Broad Street, the soundtrack for that horrible movie. <laughs> um, so I got that, and she was disappointed. Um, How was the interview with Paul? Oh, it, one of the most amazing experiences in my life. He uh, it was supposed to be like me and a crew flying over to London to talk to Paul for 15 minutes. Right. That's what we were supposed to have, 15 yeah. minutes. So I'm, I'm sitting. Which you would do in a second, fly to London for 15 minutes. Of the we party. were there. I'm in. It, that's all we expected yeah. was 15 minutes. Yeah. That we, that's, what we're told, that's what we were going to get. Um, and so we sit down and we're talking. And, of course, in 15 minutes, I'm looking, like, directly at Paul. And behind him is his publicist running back and forth, go, giving me the cut sign. And I, I said in the middle of the interview, and this wound up staying in, this, in it, I said, Paul, they're, they're telling us that we have to, to rap now. And he just, he leans forward and he smiles at me and he goes, let's not. And I was like, Paul likes talking to me. I was so jazzed and it was like exciting. And we, so, and we talked for another 45 minutes about all kinds of stuff. And we wrapped the interview. I had never been to London before. He asked me if I had ever been and I said, no. I was there with my wife at the time and, um, he says, "Oh, well, you got to. You have to go to a couple of places. Let me recommend this restaurant." And he throws out the name of this one restaurant, and then he goes, "Oh, no, no, you you don't want to go there. That's kind of pricey." And I'm thinking, McCartney thinks it's pricey. No way do I want to go there. <laughs> it's like the richest guy in rock and roll. But he literally called up this this other place uh, and spoke to the manager there, who he knew and of course knew him, and said, "My friend Mark is coming down. I want you to give him." Paul McCartney made me a dinner reservation. <laughs> Never forget that's it. That's cool stuff. Man, it it right? doesn't get any cooler than yeah. that. What um, you mentioned that you had left at a sport. What, what what made you decide to move on or, or to from MTV? You know, it started to get to a point where MTV had just hired Kurt Loader, mm. uh, and towards the you know towards for for me eight, late uh, mid eighty six, late eighty six, it started to get to the point where the the executives were looking more towards print for credibility. It's one of my big gripes with them that they didn't stand behind us. Mm. Um, I mean journalists that were like writers? Would yeah, Kurt Loder was a Rolling Stone writer. Oh, I see. And um, they hired him to do news. Now, Kurt Loder was a guy who I, I had never met him, but I knew his work. I had read him in Rolling Stone a bunch, and he he definitely knows his shit to this day, and he knew it then, he knows it today. But he would make a, a hard left turn in a freaking album review to slam MTV and to you know say how what a lame you know idea this was and how how we never really did anything worthwhile and slam the five of us. But damn, if they didn't, you know, come around to him and he was like, yes, I will sell out for that. You know, absolutely. You know, he. so they hired him and I understand. But I also understood that meant that the things that I had been doing, the great interviews, the location things, I wasn't going to get those anymore. Mm. So it was at that point that Alan and I both, we both quit on the same day. Mm -hmm. Nina and Martha and, and JJ were all didn't have their contracts renewed at mm. various times. But the two of us were were there. We we had stayed, and um, but it just got to a point where I thought all I'm going to be doing is just recording these VJ segments mm -hmm. in the studio. 
No. And at the same time, I had been bitten with the acting bug. Mm -hmm. I got requests from a couple of different uh, directors to do stuff, which I did. And I just had the best time doing it. So I wanted to to just give it a shot just to study Expand your see horizons. what it was like yeah. yeah so i i quit and did a deal with uh, mtv where i in 87 july of 87 i moved to la and for the next year i came back for one week a month and i did shows for a week a month and then for the following year um, i did interviews for them and i would host like press events to announce the vmas and stuff like that so i worked at mtv for most of uh of the 80s and mm -hmm. like by the end of 89 i was pretty much gone what do you think of MTV now and how it's morphed to nothing to do with music in a lot of ways or most ways? Well, MTV made the decision early on to not grow old with their audience, mm -hmm. to stay, uh, stay with stay that current, same, yeah. yeah, stay with the same basically 12 to 25 year old audience. That mm -hmm. was, that was their core. And, and that was what they decided to do, which was fine. To this day, I get tons of emails every day at the big 80s. Man, bring back the old MTV and bring back those days. And MTV should be playing music. There's no need for MTV to play music now. There's no need. YouTube. Mm -hmm. Why Why would anybody bother? Right. Although they're trying to figure it out. They brought back TRL. Mm -hmm. uh, now they're bringing back Jersey Shore. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the fact that they're bringing back TRL is a huge, huge thing. Um I, I would not want to run that place now. Where does a video music TV channel fit today? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, it, it's funny, too, because just talking about how, like, in this day and age, is there a lot of people that still see you and go, Mark Goodman? Like, it's, it's you, like you said, you came from this magical, very uh, cultural change, and you were one of the faces of it. People yeah. still... Like if you went to a comic convention, you could probably sign autographs for hours, you know? Yeah. I mean, it depends. I, I can walk down the street in New York without much problem. Mm -hmm. But at a concert, it's another thing. Yeah. You know, people, you know, in the right environment, people certainly know. And I, you know, you remember me from back then. So, you know, I look a lot different. Curly hair. <laughs> <laughs> the Jufro is gone. <laughs> so people, what, what happens to me often is that I'll be, you know, at a store or something and I'm paying for something at the counter and. And I'll talk to the, the person behind the register, and somebody standing behind me will recognize my voice. Mm, That's where right. where I get it. Very recognized, which is awesome. You know, yeah. I, you gotta love that. I mean, sure. it's right when people recognize you. It's flattering, yeah, right? It is. It's, like it's cool Especially to talk to people. Especially when you realize you influence somebody's life, whether whatever it is with when they were a kid, a teenager, now. Yeah. It's like, man, I used to watch you when I was a kid, or I watch you now. It's it's like you've been around that long, where people have grown up with mark goodman it's yeah. a pretty cool thing right I, I, do they say that to you yeah and i grew up with yeah. you i'm like how old are you like 22 oh, like jeez <laughs> right. man yeah. <laughs> i watched you when i was a kid well, aren't you a kid now right exactly how old are you you know so you still you still obviously in the business i've done so many things and now with debatable do you enjoy kind of going back and doing radio now this is where you started you know I, i've been at sirius for uh 14 years mm -hmm. uh it's actually the longest job i've ever had wow, yeah. um and the i was on three channels before i was on 80s classic rewind and a channel called the spectrum which was current mm -hmm. music so it was current like current what we called adult rock you know mm -hmm. for people who are grown-ups but still like rock and roll but now i'm just doing 80s and volume and uh it's live mm -hmm. that's the thing for me that's the way, the way I started. When I started in radio, I was live, obviously, yeah. and freeform. I played what I wanted, and that's kind of like what this is. You know, the debatable is, and the and the channel, a talk channel about music. Mm -hmm. Who's doing that? 
mm-hmm. you know? So I feel really lucky that, um, you know, as it happens, the guy who runs the channel used to work at VH1. I know his brother, who uh, is the guy who is, is credited with doing all of the MTV Unplugs, a guy named uh, Alex Coletti. Mm-hmm. So I feel really lucky that I get a chance to do this talk channel. I get to talk about music, which is all I would be doing anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, have people like you come in, and, mm-hmm. and it's great. It's awesome. I feel really lucky. The fact that it's live and the fact that, you know, when I do interviews for the 80s, I got to do like two minutes, mm-hmm. two and a half, mm-hmm. three minutes, and then play a song. I mean, there's no chance to have a conversation. Yeah, so, exactly. It's awesome. I'm last, happy. Uh, last couple of questions. What um, what are some of your favorite videos from, from, from those days? From back in the day? Yeah. Um, I was always a huge fan of Peter Gabriel. Mm-hmm. He, I, I think, always had a sense of doing something different that it's a weird line to walk where the video supports the song but isn't louder than the song if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense you know sometimes the video can be so distracting in whatever way that it sort of takes almost distracts you from the song whenever i hear we're not going to take it to this day i always think the video more than the song right always yeah that's a good point so he like big time was an amazing sledgehammer video sledgehammer legendary Mm -hmm. and he was a guy who he really embraced it. He was one of those guys we were talking about earlier who really embraced video and just saw it as another way for him to express himself. Yeah. The Duran Duran ones I still look back on and love because they are they're so that moment, you know, um, that they, they just like a great song takes you back to a moment. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens with those videos. I think Ray Davies, he was always a fun guy to to watch, you know, he was into being on camera mm-hmm. he uh, got it yeah. even you know dave did some funny stuff you know he was the, great with it was great i even mean there's the, the, the 1984 videos yeah into solo stuff yeah i mean hot for teacher classic it's one of the greatest videos classic. of all time <laughs> i mean it just doesn't get any better than i that. uh went through a little phase it was his birthday about a month or two ago and i watched all the roth videos starting the the panama hot for teacher leading to california girls and yeah just the whole thing just how ridiculous and goofy can we get with that campy roth style that's one of the one of the winners of, of the 80s video right? sweepstakes for sure and it was him and pete angelus who was wound up managing him yeah solo and he was the lighting director for van halen okay but pete um pete was in uh, was it Hot for Teacher? Pete directed Hot for Teacher. Yeah, he's in the I, beginning of, uh, uh, I think it's California Girls, you know? He, where, where they have those guys looking into the camera yeah. and like they're look, they're on the beach. and Yeah, and then um, he comes in with, uh, uh, give me a glazed donut and yeah, a bottle yeah. of anything to go. <laughs> to go. Whatever right. one that was. I think it was maybe Yankee Rose, I think that one. Yeah, yeah. Yankee. Well, that was Dave. Yeah, in yeah, that yeah I'm up. sure, but I think Pete Angelus was the, the manager with the big pump. Exactly, story, he's exactly. In the story. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Finally, who's your favorite bands? These days? Or, or, or all time, whenever, yeah. I love, these days, I, I listen to Dawes. I love Dawes a lot. Um, I listen to a lot of dance stuff. Mm. I love beats. Uh, so I like a lot of DJ stuff. You know, I like like Cascade and uh, one of my favorite, most favorite bands, Fozzy. <laughs> love Fozzy. Thank you. <laughs> nice plug. I got to you know, in all sincerity, I, you know, I was never a like a, a heavy metal guy mm. i always like hard rock mm. you know like priest yeah. but like to like lemmy 
it took me a while again like almost with maybe it was sort of like what happened with vince neal and and with motley Crue and and nikki six that it took me a while until i was older to get it to get motorhead i yeah, yeah i agree i don't i don't know why i agree i I'm mean the same. it's usually the other way around i yeah. think like when you're younger you get that stuff more mm -hmm. but it took me a while to figure out they're just they're just an old-time rock and roll band with with lemmy as the vocal they're, they're basically they playing ramped up versions of chuck berry songs they, and once exactly. you get that it's like that's a great band exactly yeah. acdc mm -hmm. you know but i mean the stuff that i listen to these days i'm, I'm always about and this is probably a bad thing i guess but i'm always about what's new what's mm -hmm. going to be happening in, in six months mm -hmm. that's why it was always difficult for me after mtv you know that would radio jobs that people wanted me to do were at 80s stations mm -hmm. which is fine i mean i like the 80s just fine but i was around in the 60s and 70s <laughs> yeah. you know so i it's not like the 80s <laughs> right. for most everybody who knows me yeah. it's like the you know the music of their adolescence that's that's what most people tune into that's the most important moment musically yes. in their lives that's when music was great that's when people were really making well hey it's somebody's adolescence today mm -hmm. you know and they're making great stuff yeah. i like the xx a band called the xx um that's all I can think of right offhand. A lot of DJ stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, I go to EDC and hang out there and watch these guys. <laughs> You're hip, man. You're still hip. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm willing to stay up all night. I got a date with my daughter. We're going to EDC in Vegas this year for sure. That's the way to do it. Stay young, man. Like yeah. I said, you don't even look half your age, so that's good <laughs> stuff. Dude, great time, man. Thank you so much. Chris, I can't thank you enough for inviting me to do this. This is fun. Awesome. Your first podcast. My first podcast. Did you enjoy it? It's awesome. Yeah, see? I could do this. You could do this. <laughs> Hello. <could> do this. <laughs> Hello, Mark. There you go. I think you got a career ahead of you, kid. Send me a tape in the resume and I'll see what I can All do. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs>All right, thanks to Mark Goodman. You can hear him daily on the SiriusXM 80s channel, 80s on 8. He also hosts Debatable from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM's Volume channel. That's how we met. I was a guest with Rich Ward on Debatable. Uh, Mark was a great host, a great guest as well. Check out Mark Goodman on SiriusXM, the man with the curly hair. And check out Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at sea at chrisjerichocruise.com. Book your cabin now and come hang with me. And this is a great lineup of talent. Uh, we set sail October 27th to the 31st, Miami to the Bahamas. We are getting closer to a sellout. I know I say that every week, but we really are. I'm really pleasantly surprised at how cabins keep on selling. We're going all the way, but you got to book soon. Remember, when you book your cabin, everything, all the activities included in the booking price, including food, you'll get access to all the live podcasts, stand-up comedy shows, meet and greets, concerts. The only thing you pay for when you book a cabin is alcohol and gambling. And here's what you're going to see, the big main event, Alpha Club, versus the Bullet Club, the Bucks of Jericho, or is it Y2 Jackson versus Kenny Omega, Cody, and Marty Skrull? Don't forget about Impact versus Ring of Honor, uh, Sammy Callahan versus Marty Skrull, LAX versus the Young Bucks, and now we have Brian Cage, Johnny Impact, and LAX challenging the Bullet Club to a match on the cruise, the ultimate Ring of Honor versus Impact match. Will that match happen? Wait and see. Don't forget about Live Talk, and Jer uh, talk is Jericho with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Another one with Eddie Guerrero Rememories uh, with Conan and Rey Mysterio Jr., another one with the entire Bullet Club, another one with Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler, the great
greatest commentators in WWE history. Then we got Mick Foley doing his 20 Years of Hell stand-up show, talking all about the Hell in the Cell uh, show that took place 20 years ago. We got Killing the Town versus Keeping It 100, Conan versus uh, Don Callis, Disco Inferno versus Cyrus, and don't forget about the first round of the Sea of Honor tournament that's been announced, Lethal versus Whitmer, Daniels versus Delirious, Skrull versus Titus, Silas versus Flip Gordon, the second bracket, Mark Briscoe versus Ferrara, Paige versus Kazarian, Cheeseburger versus Beer City Bruiser, Jay Briscoe versus King, and live music from Fozzie, Corey Taylor of Slipknot and Stone Sour, Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons, King, The Stir, The Dave Spivak Project, The Darlings of Rock and Roll, The Cherry Bombs, Shoot to Thrill, the world's greatest ACDC cover band, female, Blizzard of Ozzy, uh, so much more, Beyond the Darkness will be there scaring your pants off, Cole Caban and Marty DeRosa doing their hilarious unprofessional wrestling show, Busted Open Radio is going to be there, live comedy for Brad Williams, Craig Gass, Ron Funches, the Impractical Jokers, don't forget the special host, Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler, don't forget about James Ellsworth, he's going to be defending his intergender uh, championship there, cruise director SoCal Val, special guest host Noel Foley, uh, we got uh, Mandy Leon is going to be there, the Women of Honor, Kelly Klein, we've got uh, uh, Brandy Rhodes, another fine Woman of Honor to be announced very soon this week. So much going on, go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com, come join the fun, book your cabin, and be a part of history. All right, and coming up on Wednesday, speaking of being a part of history, as I go to my schedule and find out who is it going to be, because I forgot, ah, the mysterious, the strange, the crazy Bon Scott, one of the greatest lead singers of all time and one of the craziest partiers of all time. We go in depth into the wildlife and mysterious death of Bon Scott. If you're an ACDC fan, if you're a rock and roll fan, you're not going to want to miss this one. Uh, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be bone chilling and very, very cool rock and roll, man. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. Bon Scott knew all about that. So we'll see you on Wednesday. In the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, a big peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy. Have a great weekend. I am.